good evening. Welcome. Good evening, just starting. Tonight's sheer. You're online here still, by the way. Oh, huh? Hi, welcome. Good evening. This is Malka. Same here. Let's see, make sure that she has what to eat, drink. That's it. Who, who, who? That's it. Do you start your own man? One day you can do whatever you want to do. We'll talk after the shear. Tonight's shear is dedicated in the memory of Nosson ben Moshe. The outside is tonight. Um, and it's dedicated by his granddaughter. Wow. Dedicated by his granddaughter, whose birthday was today. Ali Hashem Vishanim, Langiz and um, the picture next Shana. to the Lubavitch rabbi over here. Was he from Pressburg, the rabbi next to Which picture are we talking about? This one right here. Oh. Was he from Pressburg? No, it's his father-in-law. Oh. <laughs> no talk about the speeches. That was his, yeah. Now this is all being recorded and going on the internet. We're online here and goes later online. This week we are going to learn laying two parshas in New York. We're going to lay one parsha in Atzeinu Hakdasha. So this week, Baruch Hashem, the Chutzlaretz and Israel are coming together. They're joining forces once again. We'll be reading the same parsha. We had an interesting conversation in Shul this past Shabbos. By Mincha, the tradition is between Pesach and Shavuos, we say, after Mincha, we say Pirkei Avis. Mm-hmm. Every week in another Perik. Now, I don't remember if I mentioned this in the beginning of Svira. In case I did, I have to retract, because I believe I said something erroneously. Um, a problem comes about. In the first Shabbos after Pesach in Eretz Yisrael was Shabbos. By us, it was the last day of Pesach. It was Shabbos as well, but it was the last day of Pesach. I don't know what happened, what's going on here with this thing tonight. People are falling off to... No, their deadlines are going dead, not mine. No, mine is available. Oh, he's online now. I understand he's online here. He's not in the group. How can I be part of the group? Uh-huh. Very strange. Uh, we have to put him back into the group. That's the problem. Sorry? Um, he left to Israel. He went for two weeks or something. Iran, and it's one of those nights. Let's try this again. August twenty third, I have a wedding. My own daughter. 
<laughs> and then <laughs> I told you that Monday night they are leaving to Manchester. <laughs> so therefore, I don't have Shabbat Brachot. And therefore, I am planning to be on the Yochopah. Inshallah. <laughs> They're going to finish there, the Shabbat Brachot, because her grandfather can't come. We're making Shabbos here. We're making Thursday. Shabbos, Thursday's the wedding. Shabbos we'll make here in the house, uh, not here in the house, but we'll be here in New York. Matzah Shabbos and Sunday we'll make, and then Monday they're leaving. Seven. And they're moving there. Pashat Bahar and Bechu Kaisai this week. So what, I'm sorry, what we were talking about was that we were talking about Pirkei Aves. Whereas they lain Pashat Shmini on that Shabbos, and we lain Achim Shal Pesach, they did not start Pirkei Aves in Israel that week. Pirkei only started the next week. And it was a very interesting conversation in Shul. Um, to see how minds work. And we found out that mo- some people's minds can be very, very twisted. Twisting is, it's, it's very interesting how people's minds sometimes think backwards. Um, one of the thought processes of one of the people there was the reason for Pirkei Ovis for Pirkei Ovis not starting that Shabbos in Eretz Yisrael was because it has to he said, it was mind boggling I can't even repeat it, it was so funny that Pirkei Ovis should work backwards that the main thing is that the last Pirkei should be Erev Rosh Hashanah right before, before Shavuos and the rest of the Prakim will walk backwards. And therefore, whenever the first Shabbos comes out, it comes out the first Shabbos that will make it sixth Shabbos, sixth Shabbos before Shavuos. Which is absurd. So I, out of, out of humor, to humor him and to humor the idea and the concept, I said, you know what? You know what I said? The truth is that Pirkei is connected with Salashudas, with Sudash Lishit. And since... You can't have Chala by Sudash Lishit on that first Shabbos, therefore you can't have Pirkei The guy was mesmerized. He says, wow, what a spiritual answer. It, it is so off the wall. It's just the only thing more crooked than what he had said. So I figured if his mind works so crookedly, if I say something worse, it'll just be two left turns and you end up back where you started. Um, the question is, though, why did they not start Pirkei that week? Can Andy... Malka, Malka, Finandi, my daughter. Hi, nice to meet you. Um, is called Milsa the Chasidusa. Words of Chasidus. These words of Chasidus were installed, instilled, or actually created or, or, or put together, compiled, with the idea and the intention of making a person's lifestyle better. The way a person acts, interacts, and behaves in his daily life. How a person does business, the proper etiquette, how to behave, how to talk to people, how to act with people, what to tell people, how to tell it to them, what to learn from things that we see, etc., Therefore, Pirkei does not start until there was a work day before it. 
when the person has returned from the yomtiv mode to a work day, and he starts to go back to work, and now he's back in the mundane world, only then does Pirkei now fall into effect to try to tell us how to live our lives and how to behave. And that is why Pirkei and Etzisel did not start Pasha Shmini, because in Etzisel it was also coming straight off of Yomtev. Since it's coming straight off of Yomtev, the person did not go to work. Is the mic working okay over there in uh, Georgia? Yes, okay. The other people that are on the camera, I can't see, but I see. So I have your answer. This Shabbos is Shabbos Chazak. It is also Shabbos Mevarchen Chedesh Sivan. Actually, next week, Tuesday, is a Shredish, and therefore, next Wednesday night, Shirem at Shemdaneda, we will discuss the Shredish Sivan. Um, Monday, Monday evening, for anyone that has anyone contacted, any women that would like to join us, we have a group going to the Ohel of women. At 7.30, we're meeting at the Ohel of the Labav Chalebe, because Erev Shredish Sivan is a day to pray, according to the Shalah HaKadosh, is a day to pray for children to pray for children and for those who have children, to pray for the goodness of their children, etc. So anybody that would like to join us there, we have a group that will get together at 7.30. We say Advat before we go in. Everybody writes their letters and we try to get in before Shkia because after Shkia it's already Rosh So sunset is approximately 8.08 on Monday. So if everybody starts at 7.30, we do get inside before that. We can go like in the night? Okay, can, should, would, again, allow me to reiterate, Erev Shchedesh Sivan is a very special day for prayer. At night it becomes a Shchedesh Sivan, it's also special. Every day is a special day for prayer. The Shalah HaKadosh writes, so therefore we're talking about Tuesday, right, not Monday. I was there, we'll be on Sunday. Huh? You want Sunday? I didn't hear you the third time either, but I'll, I'll get it after it. So anybody that wants to send, anybody that wants, any women that want to like to meet us there, it would be a very big honor, because the Bereiv Am has the smell the more women there, the bigger the prayer is, and the stronger the prayer is across. Um, Baharim B'chukai says, as we said, is the end of Pashas, uh, the end of Chumash Vayikra. There is a law. The law is that Teda is not a storybook. Teda, the word Teda is from the Lushan of Heiroa, lessons. Everything that we learn in Teda teaches us a lesson. Now, in this week's parsha, obviously, it starts off because Bahar and Bukhkesa are together. It starts off, the Abish spoke to Mesha, all these laws in Sinai, and it mentions one mitzvah, the mitzvah of Shemitah, of not working in the fields on the seventh year. Then the Chukhesai has in it an Aliyah. One of the Aliyahs this Shabbos, you will see nobody gets called up, but the Balkare grabs the, grabs the opportunity because nobody's being called up so fast, and he makes the bracha himself. You'll see, every shul does it. It's, a mag- it's an amazing story. Uh, during that Aliyah, they read the 49 curses. In order not to put the curse on the person, we don't call the person up for that curse, but the Bakar is already standing there, therefore he takes the Aliyah. You mean the Rav is a shul? So some shuls the Rav does it. 
the Rav just goes up. Well, the some shuls, the Rebbe's go up for that other year. Is Shishi. But that aliyah is not called up to. Nobody's invited to that aliyah. So the question is, where is it that Behar and Bukhukhesai come into technically talking about what happened on Har Sinai and then running into... I'd like to try to explain with two different stories of two different eras. One happened approximately 25 years ago, 30 years ago, in Minnesota. And one happened a few hundred years ago uh, not far from Liadi. About 30 years ago, there was an Israeli couple. Now, Amech Kulam said, all Jews are holy. And never say something wrong or negative about a Jew. And there was nothing wrong or negative about them either. They just didn't particularly care for religion. And if any religion they didn't care for, it was the Jewish religion they really didn't care for. And therefore, and therefore, they lived a very, very secular life. Living in Minnesota, nothing... Anything representing Judaism did not come near their house. One day, and they were successful. They were doing well, Parnassah-wise. He worked, she worked. One day they're getting ready for work, and he's in a different room, and his wife starts to scream. He says, don't scream, I'm coming in a second. He comes in and she's standing there screaming, just staring at the ceiling and screaming tries to shake her, to calm her down to something, nothing to talk about. Finally, he, he pulls her forcefully, he sits her down on the couch, she jumps back up and she's screaming. After 10 or 15 minutes, she stops. And he says, what was that all about? And she says, what? He says, you were just screaming like a lunatic. He says, she said, I don't know what you're talking about. It was very awkward, but he says, you know, let's stay home today, and they called in sick. This went on, another day, a third day, and another attack, and another time screaming, and another time, and now it started getting twice a day, and it started getting really, really strange. It started going to doctors and psychologists and neurologists. There was nothing. It was getting to nerve's end. And someone recommended, there's a rabbi in Minnesota, Minneapolis, Rabbi Manus Friedman, Chabad Chassid, why don't you go see him? He's a very intelligent guy. So she said, okay. She went to Rabbi Manus Friedman. And Rabbi Friedman told her, I hear there's an issue here. I can't really do anything per se. But I would recommend you write a letter to the Lubavitcher Rebbe in Brooklyn and get a blessing. She says, me, a Rebbe, he doesn't know who I am. doesn't matter. Just write so she wrote a letter to the Rebbe about her story. And very, very short time later, the Rebbe answered that he's sure and confident if, no, not if, as they will start eating only kosher in the house, this will go away. Just like, just like you don't know where it came from, it will go back. 
And she says to Rabbi Friedman, what is kosher? What does it entail? But she's ready to do it. And we kids her, a crew is brought together, a bunch of guys, they're going to go down, kosher their kitchen, whatever has to be done for koshering, they're going to buy new, whatever has to be bought new, and they're going to restock their kitchen. The husband came home, and heard this amazing plan, and went ballistic. Is he crazy all of a sudden becoming kosher? And she explained to him, this is what the Rebbe told her, and she doesn't understand we haven't found any other solutions, why should we not try? Because God was on his side, and a friend of his called him up, just then and there, who knew about the dilemma, and said to him, hey, there's a a, a uh, fortune teller, or whatever, psychic, not far, she's known to take care of all these things, let's go, you and I will go there, we'll take care of this. Oh, thank God I'm an atheist. He's a, I'm going. I got out of this job. I don't have to do this kosher business. She's going to take care of it for us. Kids that come there, and he tells them the dilemma, and she starts to think it through, and starts to look in the, in the, in the worlds above. Anybody ever wonder why Psychic doesn't win the lottery every week? Okay, let's just figure that out. Um, and... She says to him, I hear in your accent you're not American. What are you? And he says, I'm Israeli. She says, Jewish? He says, yes. She says, you're Jewish? You're coming to me? You have a problem like this? She says, there's a rabbi in Brooklyn, Rabbi, I don't know how she referred to the rabbi, that can do thousand times greater than I can ever think of doing and you're coming to me, what would you do that for? At this point he realized, and they went home, they cashed to their house, and she was totally healed, with no, no, no remnants of this whole story. Today the house is kosher, they keep Shabbos, and they, he puts on twill every day, but they don't consider themselves religious. Because God forbid they should ever say that they became religious. It's an attitude that some people have. But with the chassid, of the Al-Tarebbe, things were much more interesting. The Chassid of the Al-Tarebbe was a normal fellow who one day, all of a sudden, just started shaking and jumping up and down and became total, totally off his mind. And whatever they tried, to, they could not control him. And finally, the Chassidim brought him to the Al-Tarebbe. And when he came into the first Chabad Rebbe's office, he sat down across the Rebbe and he sat quiet. And the Rebbe said, I want to tell you a story. The Gemara tells us there was a Navi. Not the Navi that we know of. Let me just remember which one it is. Yirmi, I think it was. Zachariah. One second. If I don't have facts right, it's not good. Yeah, it's a Gemara Masech, this Gitten. Um, 
used to be Nunzayin Amabayis, 57, side 2. And the Navi's name was Zechariah. Correct. There was a prophet, Zechariah, was not the same Zechariah that was by the second temple. And this Zechariah was standing up to say Nevoah, to say a prophecy that the Beis Amigdash was going to be destroyed. And the Gemara tells us, as he stood up to talk, a bunch of people got together with stones, and they stoned him, they pelted him, and he died. Terrible story. Said the Alter Rebbe, the people that pelted him were tzaddikim. They were totally righteous people. However, what are you killing a person for? Because they knew what he was about to prophesize. And when a prophet says a prophecy, it becomes it comes into fruition. And since he was going to prophesize the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, they wanted to stop him so that this should not come into the world. And perhaps another day the Jews would repent to do tshuva. So they pelted him and they killed him. I, you're not allowed to kill a Jew. Now you are Chayev Misa. Because you killed a Jew, you have to be put to death. They didn't care. They were prepared to sacrifice themselves so that the Jews should not, God forbid, be hurt and be sent into exile. And that the temple should not be destroyed. Said Al-Tarebbe, the Mesidus Nefesh, the abnegation of these people, was so strong and so great, they were willing to give their own lives and their own existence so that the Jews should not, God forbid, suffer. So the question is asked, why didn't the Prophet do that? Why didn't the Prophet say, I'm not going to say the prophecy? If he knew that the prophecy would bring this about, why wouldn't he just decline the prophecy? The answer is that the Prophet has no choice. A Prophet is only a microphone. A Prophet in this world is totally, totally nullified. He has no existence. His whole existence in life is only to do what God's word, to, to deliver God's message. And therefore, the Prophet did not have the power to do so. The Prophet only had the power to deliver the message he had to deliver. But these people knew that they could stop this. We see therefore that although Bahar starts Bahar Sinai and talks about only the mitzvah of Shemitah and the mitzvah of Shemitah has a very interesting pasuk here. The Jews are going to say or if the Jews will say, that's how the Torah says it. Perhaps the Jews will tell you, say, What will we eat in the seventh year? If on the sixth year we can work, but on the seventh we can't, what will we eat in the seventh year? We can't plant and we can't gather. 
says God I will extend my blessing to you on the sixth year and it will have a multiple the multitude of production in the sixth year will be so great that in the seventh year you will have had enough there's a Zaya that tells us the world can only exist without Mashiach. Kishes al says the Zaya. 6,000 years. Now, if you ever go back in the archives of the Shirim and you hear the Shirim, Pashas Veschanan, I believe I mentioned Veschanan last year, that the number 6,000 is not exact. Moshe Rabbeinu started to say the part of the Chumash Devarim in the year 2488 on the Jewish calendar. It's very easy to do the math, because in the year 2448 the Jews left Egypt, and 40 years later he gave he spoke, he read the Sinai. He said Chumash Devarim. He says, V'eschanan el Hashem, V'eschanan is a numerical value, 515. And Moshe Rabbeinu is saying is, in 515 Shemitahs, sets of seven, 500 sets of, 515 sets of seven, from today, is the amount the world can exist. Being that that year was 2,488, and if you do seven times 515 and you add them together, you'll get 6,093. He said, therefore, in the year 6,093, not, it says, around 6,000 years. And the actual number is 6,093. At the time of year 6,093, if God forbid Mashiach does not take us out of the exile, the world will not be able to exist. So therefore, the first 6,000, the first 6,000 years are the years prior to the Shemitah. The six years that he mentions in the Teda refer to the 6, 000, first 6,000 years. Shnas Shviz, what's the seventh year? This refers to the year of the seventh millennium. And the Jews ask, Ma'anechel Shviz? In the year six, in the six thousandth year, the situation in the world is going to become so low and so decadent. How would possibly merit Mashiach? The Tzemedesh tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu was shown all the future generations. When it came to the generation of Mashiach, he said, "Stop! I can't watch." The generation was so bad that he couldn't look at it. So we're going to say, "Eicha ma neicha b'shana how are we going to come out of the 6,000th year and go into the 7,000th? What are we worthy of? How will we possibly be able to make that transition? And therefore the Apostle continues. And God com- continues with His guarantee. I command my blessing to you. That if the Jews will do everything that they can in the 6,000th year, then in the 7,000th when it starts, 
God will give an extra blessing. And through this we will be able to come and merit the redemption. Now the fact of the matter is, what does it mean we have to do what we can? We're living in a year 2012. It's tough. It's tougher than tough. If my elder Zayda, that great-grandfather, used the expression, it's hard to be a Jew. And if Levi Yitzchak and Bardichev, several hundred years ago, stood one day and said, If you don't take the Jews out of Gullus quickly, there will be no one to take out. And those generations were so much superior, so superior to ours. And yet, we are still here. Yet, we are still going to Shul. We're still coming to Shiurim. We're still davening three times a day. We're doing what we have to. The odds are very, very against us. At this point in time, after, after never mind, we don't know about the Spanish Inquisition. We don't know about uh, the other, the czars and all these other. Let us just look at the last generation of the Holocaust. After such happenings, after such mass destruction, and we are still standing and we are still doing. There's a book, uh, the, whole, the whole series of books on the Holocaust. One is called 9 out of 10. In the book 9 out of 10, you can get it, I'm sure Amazon sells it. In the book 9 out of 10, now I, get, now I can ask for royalties from Amazon for the, uh, the plug during this year. It's a fellow named Mr. Schiff. I believe his name is, no. His name is not, Mr. Katz. Mr. Katz, who has a son-in-law, Schiff, actually. One of his sons-in-law. And not, there were ten siblings during the war, and nine of them survived. So at the end of the book, he has over there pictures of his family by a wedding. A family wedding. And it's Kinahara, a big crowd. And the title on the wedding, on the picture is My Revenge Against Hitler. This is how he avenges Hitler, who thought he annihilated us, and Baruch Hashem, generations that are standing today. And it's not, it's, it's not as commonplace as it was when I was a child. But we still bump into today survivors. We still find survivors. And we still have people that are children of survivors, at the least. I had a chance, a long week, but I believe it was, must have been Monday. I was in Barrow Park. And I met the grandson, or today the son of, the Blujava Rebbe. Now, I've told many stories from the Blujava. He was my Sandik. There's a book, I don't know if you can get it on Amazon. It's called Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust. Yeah, Definitely, huh? Yeah, yeah, you can't? But it, you have it? It's, it's something worth finding and getting and reading. It's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing book. Very, very powerful. And a lot of the stories about the Blujava, how he went through the Holocaust. 
But interestingly, there was a story that I heard and I wanted to clarify it with the grandson. And the grandson told me he heard the story as follows from his grandfather. After the war, many people took to different paths. They went here, they went there. Not everybody knew where anybody else went. Some stayed together, but a lot of people didn't. The blizzard was on, on occasion in Florida. He needed some, some warm air. He passed away at 103 years old. He was in Florida. The book? Yeah. You're good. Where is it on what? Amazon. On Amazon. You see, you'll see. Don't ever say never. If Renan was awake, I'd tell him to pinch you. Okay. <laughs> it is on Amazon. And anyway, he met this Jew in Florida, but wasn't Jewish. I mean, he didn't look Jewish. Totally assimilated fellow. And this assimilated fellow. walked over to the Blizzard because there was a lot of Rebbes that used to come to Florida. And he came over to the Blizzard and he had some snide remark. And the Blizzard asked him, where are you from? Obviously not from here. And he told him which city he was from, which was the same city the Blizzard was from. And he asked, what did you do? He was a musician. Tell you how small the world got. This musician, this Jew, used to play by all the blues of his family weddings. He played by all the weddings. Anyway, they got to talking, and the blues asked him, Why do you look like this? And he said, that the generation died, and as far as he's concerned, and he says, and there was one fellow, there was one fellow, he says, a young guy at the time, he had potential. And if that guy was killed during the war, I have no respect for anything. And I imagine he was killed. Who is it? That's one way of shouting it. And the blue asked him, and who is this person? And he told him, they had a son, Yisrael. So the blue told him, and if I could tell you that Yisrael is still alive, he said, if Yisrael is still alive, I do tshuva. I do complete tshuva. So the blue told him, I am Yisrael. He was the boy. He was the young man. The guy grabbed his head, because standing now with Ali Yamak, obviously, he grabbed his head to cover his head in front of the Rebbe. He was so embarrassed that he's standing and he fainted. And then he came through, he came to and he became, told, he became a chassid again. The question now becomes also, we said before, Teda is Lashon Heira. It's a lesson. If Teda is a lesson, even more so, Terah has to always intertwine. Terah has to be always connected. We can't find loose ends in the Terah that can't be tied.
Let us look at Chumash Vayikra, which we're now going to finish. And the last pasuk in Chumash Vayikra is Eila Mitzvahs. These are the mitzvahs, the commandments. Hashatziva Hashem is Moshe, that the Almighty commanded Moshe al Bnei Yisrael to the Jews, Bahar Sinai on the Mount Sinai. The first word in the Chumash Vayikra to intertwine the end and the beginning. The first word in Vayikra is Vayikra al Moshe. And Vayikra is written with a small aleph. And the Balaturim tells us why the small aleph. Because Moshe was, a treme- was very humble. He was an Anav. And as an Anav he said, I don't deserve to have the word Vayikra, which is to proper prophets, Vayikar, which is a prophet, which is the non-Jewish, Bilam was called Vayikar, he would happen to be, just write by me Vayikar. And the Almighty refused. So Moshe compromised, and he wrote a small aleph, representing the humbleness of Moshe, the humility of Moshe. Sinai, the Medish tells us, it's a Medish, it's called Medish Tehillim. Before Matan we know this story, and this is a story that all the children are told before Chag HaShavuiz, which is of course coming up now. Before the Torah was given, the Almighty inquired where the Torah should be given. And it was the Mount Sinai that was chosen. Why? Because being the most humble of all the mountains, the lowest of the mountains. Question comes about. If the Almighty eliminated all the opinions from all the mountains because He thought they were too haughty, and they were too big in their bridges, and He wanted to show humbleness, why didn't He give it in in a valley? You want to show the person loneliness, give it in a valley. Or at least give it on a, on a plain, on a flat ground. Why on a, on a mountain, but a small mountain? If he wanted a dafka on a mountain, then do it right. Do it a mountain that is going to be impressive. This is the lesson of the human person, of the person's behavior. When a person is learning Torah and doing mitzvahs, he has to have both these things in his heart. He has to have the concept of Har, and he has to have the concept of Sinai. The concept of Har is a mountain. A mountain is a strong, impressionable piece of land. It makes an impression. And Shukhan starts off, A person cannot be embarrassed from the others that mock him. And a person has to be proud and walk with pride that he is a Torah observant Jew. Now, it's easy to say to somebody else, it's easy to tell somebody else you have to be proud to walk around looking like a Jew. 
But then look at some people that go in some areas and walking around looking like a from Jew, it can get detrimental. So they tend, instead of wearing a regular hat, they wear a cap. I saw in, in Switzerland, in Geneva, my daughter lives there, and I was there for a simcha of some sort. And, okay, that's, the reason I, had, I check it is because some people fall offline. They fall offline, they text what's happening, what happened to my connection. So I have to, re- I have to reconnect them. Idea. So that's, uh, that's the only reason I'm rude enough to check the phone in the middle of this year. That's a good idea. You don't have to check the phone. No. Okay. <laughs> Unless your brother gets up. I text him, actually. Oh, okay. Is that all I... It's okay. He'll find his way if he wants to. So therefore, and I lost my train of thought. You can't do that to me. So the person, when he does, so the person in Switzerland, after davening, he comes in the morning to the shul. He comes earlier. He goes to the mikveh every morning. He sits and learns chesedus before davening. Davens mamish beautifully. And then takes his towels and fill and puts it on a shelf in the shul. Takes out of a bag a toupee. A toupee. And he puts it over his yarmulke. So that on the street you can't tell. He's got a beard. But you can't tell. The beard doesn't really mean that much if he's not wearing a yarmulke. And that's how he goes to business. Because he doesn't want to antagonize. I must tell you, I was born in America, and officially I cannot talk about oppression or about anti-Semitism as they did in Europe. I don't hear in my right ear, I'm legally deaf in my right ear actually, because I was left for dead. I was grabbed by a bunch of male Caucasian non-Jews I was about 13 and a half years old and they kicked the snot out of me on a Shabbos morning and left me to die by the horses tables Baruch Hashem I didn't die but I remained with this damage so Baruch Hashem I can tell you that I didn't go through the Holocaust and I didn't get through Auschwitz etc I carry a sign. I carry a symbol. Therefore, the first sif in Shulchan tells us that one cannot be embarrassed from the mockers and one must stand up as a mountain. The concept of har, the mountain the person has to represent when it comes to Torah On the other hand, says the Torah, when it comes to haughtiness, God says to us, When you are a Balgaiva, when you are somebody that's haughty and that has, that's proud, too proud, the Almighty says, I can't coexist with you. Only if the person says, he humbles himself and says, 
my soul is like like dust. Only at that point, does the Almighty open my heart to Torah and Mitzvah. Because you're the lowest of the mountains. Whereas I stand proud as a mountain, but I take the humility at the same time, hand in hand. And these are not contradictions. Because the fact that the person stands up for his rights to do Torah and Mitzvah, he nullifies himself for the Abishtah. And this gives him the proper strength to ultimately complete what he has to do and not be frightened of anything. And we know of many, many people who, as they went through the Holocaust, the Germans were very, it's very interesting to note, I, I, I meet a lot of people that don't know their Hebrew birth dates. Don't know the Hebrew birth date. When are you born? I was born January 4th. What's your Hebrew birth date? We established Chavzai and Nisan as your birthday. Um, write it down. I'll find it. I thought it was the 16th, but it turned out I'm the 15th. The 16th is July 17th. Right after the show, I'll look it up for two seconds, I'll find it. No, I'm Thomas 15th. I know already. Thomas? Thomas 15th. Did you look up ever what happened to Zvav Thomas? <laughs> look it up. Cool. It's a great day. Really? Oh no. And no, not my birthday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, and people that is not aware, they're not aware of. It. I was talking to Israeli people. That, they don't know the Hebrew birthday. How could you not know the Hebrew birthday? What do you know? I know I was born Revilish <laughs> the They don't know what their Hebrew is. So therefore, says the Tater, no, the person has to stand betekif. He has to stand in his fullest of his capacity so that he completes and does what Tater Mitzvah dictates. To quickly jump a little bit to what we do during the weeks of Svira. A little Mishnah and a little bit of Masechta's Seita. This week is, is Perik Revi, the fourth Perik, Perikiavis. Is it? No. Makes sense? No. This week is Perik Hamishi, folks. This week should be Perik Hamishi, because this week is Shabbos of Archim. Eshchedish is next week, so next week will be Perik Shishi, and then comes Shavuos. Correct. So this week is Perik Hamishi. So then let us look at it for a Mishnah quickly in Perik Hamishi, since I did not prepare one. The ninth Mishnah. Wild beasts come to the world swearing falsely and, defying, and defaming God's name. Now, from this Mishnah, by the way, is derived 
people that swear in God's name, G-O-D, they say, oh my, oh my, even oh my, Hashem's name, you bring about Chayirah. Now Chayirah, you don't usually find, in the average book in the streets, you don't find lions and tigers and bears. But you do find rodents. And someone brought down in the Svarim that by people talking and claiming or, squ- or, or cursing in Hashem's name, it brings mice to the house. Just to the record. Yeah. Uh, good. Yeah, it Sometimes it brings it to you as a reward. Yeah. That's it. It brings and says, look what I got. When the person does not leave the Shemitah, they bring about terrible, terrible things. And this is what he brings out in the end, towards the end of the Mishnah of what the different mices that have to be brought about. The Shviyas, the Maiser. Oni Shibashishis, in the seventh year, the person has to give the Maisa Oni of the sixth year. And Matsoi Shviyas, the end of the seventh year, Mipne Pedish Shviyas, which is a very, very awkward thing of the seventh Pedish of Shviyas. Mipne Gezel Matanasiginim, because they were stealing from the poor. Now, ultimately, we don't have anything at the end of the seventh year, because the seventh year we haven't been doing anything, any planting, any reaping. But therefore we say, and this is very interesting to note, I had a conversation Sunday night with somebody about tzedakah. What is tzedakah? And how is someone be, supposed to be able to survive on tzedakah? There are people that never have to come on to tzedakah. It's a terrible, terrible... You, humiliating thing to do, to have to go and ask somebody for tzedakah, I have to ask somebody, help me out, I'm making a wedding, can you help me out, I'm making a bar mitzvah, can you help me out, it's a terrible, terrible humbleness, and I told the person, you're asking the right guy, because unfortunately I live a lot of my life that way, and my approach is different, Dabar Melech says in Tehillim that the Almighty says, Liyah Kesef, Liyah Zov. All money, gold and silver, is mine. And everything belongs to God. Therefore you, Mr. Wealthy Man, it's not your money. You think you earned it? You didn't earn it. God gave it to you to hold on. So that when a person comes along and says, I'm making a wedding, you write that check. When a person comes along and says, I have, and God forbid somebody needs... Medication, you write that check. Because the money is not yours, It's oh, you're only the treasurer, you're only a secretary, secretary here. And this is therefore how one has to continue and to be able to survive on the concept of tzedakah. So therefore, tzedakah is not something that humbles a person. Tzedakah is something that he, so the guy told me, but don't we say 
in, in benching, in Birchat HaMazon, in the grace after meals, we say that Leile De Havosam should not be able, we should not have to come on to other people to give us money. So I told him, yeah, what you're saying is different though. You're saying the words and you're translating them, but you're not singing it right. Another famous story that I've also told many times, the chazan and the shul once called the, the president the thief. So the president fired him. But the shul can't be without a chazan. So they started to try have trials for chazanim. And nobody was good enough. Finally the membership got together and came to the president and said, listen, stop being so pig-headed and so stubborn and bring back the chazan. He was good. He was the best. So, president said, only if he'll apologize. So they went to the chazan and said, will you apologize? Chazan said, listen, I know the president, not from today. He doesn't just want me to say I'm sorry. He wants an apology. So do me a favor, go to the president, thank you, and have him write out what he wants me to say. Okay. And the president then says, and by the way, I want this done in front of all the members. So the president writes out a whole speech. They get the entire membership to fill the shield capacity. Even Rashani and Kippur is not so full. And the Chazan gets up to read. I, Chazan so-and-so, living in this and this address, Chazan in this congregation for so and so many years, would like to hereby apologize and, and denounce in front of everybody what I have said, what I had said about our president. And our president is not a Ghanav? So everybody started to laugh. And the president jumps up and he says, excuse me, that's not what it says there. He says, what do you mean? It says here clearly, our president is not a Ghanav? He says, but you're singing it wrong. The president says, the chazan says, I'm the chazan here, I'll tell you how to sing. You write the speeches, I'll tell you how to sing. So although he said, in essence, the words that he said to write, say, but if you sing it a little differently, it takes on a totally different meaning. Very, very briefly, a Gemara in Mesech Seita, Daf, Lamed Vav, Lamed Beis, a very interesting little story that the Gemara brings down. Um, it talks about Yosef HaTzadik, his whole story, his whole episode in Egypt, in Mitzrayim. Rabban Abchiyah Barabba, Rabban Abchiyah Barabba, Barabba, the name of Abchiyah Barabba said, when Pare said to Yosef, Without you, nobody will lift their hand here in this country. The stargazers, the astrologers of Egypt, Pare, of Pare said, A servant that was bought for 20 silver pieces, should rule over us? He said to them, You keep falling off because you have a lousy connection. It's not my fault. Omalami says to them, Yenune Malchus and I see great, great, great potential with this fellow. 
He's pop, he has royalty. Let us see if he knows the 70 languages. And the Yibari goes on to tell us that Gabriel came to him that night and taught him all the languages. And the next day he comes before Pare and Pare starts talking to him. And any language Pare starts to converse in, he answers in that language. And then after all said and done, he, adds, he asks Pare something in Hebrew, in Lashon Kedish, and Pare had no idea what he was talking about. At which point everybody admitted to the Yosef Atzadi's greatness. It's traditional that at the end of Vayikra, we say this one word, this one thing about the Pasha B'chukaisai. It talks about the tithe, tithing. The whole Maisa Bakr Vatsain says the Pasik. Every tenth one of the Bakr and the Tsain. Everything that goes under Takas Hashevet, under the staff. The tenth one should be Kedish. What happened was they would have a staff and the sheep would go through and they'd count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Boom! The stick came down on the tenth one and gave it, left a mark. And every tenth one was marked that way. There's a different shot in this Pasuk. And listen carefully. The word Vachol Maiser Vav Chof Lamed Mem Ayin Shin Reish is acronyms. V'yedu Kulam Everyone should know. This is the acronym of the words. Lama Meis Akiva Why did Akiva die? Shehoyaroyeh he was a shepherd. Bakar Vatsain, the continuation of the Pasuk, of all the sheep of all the Jewish nation. The Cholashiyavin, everything that went through. Tachas Hashavit, since he was measured under, he was one that was put to task. Hasiri, the tenth one was a Akiva from the Asadra Gamalchus. He was Kedish for the Abishter. He was sanctified for God's name. And as we know, and you look this up in the archive, I speak about in length. I don't remember where though. That will be Akiva. The, when the ten people that were killed by the king were representing the ten people that sold Yosef. Because the ten brothers sold Yosef, therefore these ten had to die. And the question that we ask is Reuven was home with his father, Binyamin was a baby, and Yosef was being sold. That's three. There were twelve brothers, there's only nine. So who was the ten? So what they did was, they were mitzadif, they added God, they told God, you're part of that ten. So now each one of these ten people that were killed, each one was from a different shevet. Except for Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva came from converts. See, he didn't come from any shevet. So Akiva represented the Almighty God. Malka, Miri, Miri, Malka. And therefore we should have Chazak, 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 and we should go into a Reish Sivan that will be Simcha and happiness and joy and hopefully will all be in Yerushalayim, Mirach Shabbat Shalom. Next week,